Welcome, friends. You are listening to the Mind Body Alchemy podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Miramontes. This is where intuition meets education in the realms of spirituality, fitness, mindset, and more, all to create lasting change. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Today, we are discussing pleasure. Yes, again. Last week, we talked about pleasure and how that may be impacting your commitment and your desire to do hard things, take the steps needed in order to reach your goals. And there's this narrative around finding pleasure in your day-to-day in order to um, increase consistency, and I'm on board for that. Today is a little bit different. Technically, this is pleasure part three because I did do a podcast I don't know, a long time ago, on pleasure-centered goal setting. If you haven't listened to that one, go check it out. This episode is related to last week's on pleasure and finding your drive for commitment, but it's a little bit different. And it is still going to discuss pleasure through that wider lens, but there is going to be a lot of practical things for you in this episode. We're going to talk about pleasure leaks, This is not a scientific term, but rather something I came up with to describe the areas that you allow, consciously or not, pleasure to drip out of your pleasure bucket, so to speak. This episode is advocating for more pleasure as a tool to help you reach your goals, but it's more nuanced than that. It's really fighting for using pleasure in a way that contributes to your overall sense of well-being and not in a way that leaves you feeling very frustrated. As we discussed last week, the narrative around pleasure is that you should do the things that bring you pleasure because you're more likely to show up and stay consistent. This is true and it works unless of course the goal that you want to achieve requires specific steps that you find to be not pleasurable. Then we are faced with the dilemma of changing the goal or toughening up and getting over it. What? Both options suck? Yeah, I thought you might think that. I certainly do. Then we're left doing what we always do when we don't like our options, at least what we always do when you are on my team, team live in the gray, and we find a way to do just that. This is the best place to hang out, I'm telling you. So now that we know that you're struggling to find your important to you tasks pleasurable and life feels a bit like a grind, this is where we have to do two things. One, work on the way we think and talk about those tasks, and two, take inventory of your life and see if you're lacking pleasure as a whole. It's well accepted that life isn't always going to be joyful. Some of the things we do are going to feel neutral at best and often suck. This is not cool to your brain whose job is to help you find pleasure and avoid pain. If you live a pleasureless life, you're probably going to come up with some resistance when it comes to adding more unpleasant tasks to your day, even if you think doing them is going to finally bring you the happiness and pleasure you're missing out on. If you find yourself complaining about your job, shouldering the majority of the chores, you're lacking connection, your inner critic goes wild all day, every day, and you have a growing list of unrealistic expectations and to-dos, then you probably have some pleasure leaks. You don't have to fix all of them in order to continue to work on your goal and you don't have to adopt a 
go hard or go home attitude either. You can focus on discovering these leaks alongside taking steps toward the goals you want. Just know that as you do this, there will be times that it will feel too hard and you may want to throw in the towel. Stick with me. Last week, the example that I used had a whole lot to do with training, and this week we're going to take a different path, and we're going to talk about food as a pleasurable reward. Although this episode will relate to so many other things in life, you're probably here because you want to learn how to improve your relationship with food and get off of the diet, binge, emotional eating roller coaster. Am I right? So the goal in this case is to learn to eat without drama. And the resistance comes from wanting to use food as a reward or as a source of pleasure, in all likelihood, your only source of pleasure in the day. Now, who the hell wants to give that up? Let's nerd out on some brain science for a bit and you'll understand why you might want exactly that. Some of what we know about pleasure is that it's closely tied to pain and dopamine is involved. You may know dopamine as the pleasure molecule, but it's more complex than that. What dopamine actually does is seek out pleasure. That's different. It doesn't actually give it, and it isn't satisfied for long. You have several other brain chemicals that are involved in pleasure, but dopamine is a little bit of the troublemaker in this case, so let's focus our attention here. I want you to really think about what I had just said. Dopamine is pleasure-seeking, and it isn't satisfied. Does this mean that we don't want dopamine? Hell no. What a boring life. It isn't just about seeking pleasurable eating experiences, but it's also involved in seeking pleasure in every other form, like sex, hearing a baby laugh, and maybe longing for a new puppy. Dopamine is a great tool for increased drive and enthusiasm for challenging tasks. Your desire to feel good about yourself when you achieve something is dopamine keeping you hustling for the prize. We want it and we need it. But as much as dopamine is a pleasure seeker, it's even better at being a pain avoider. Emotionally, it keeps you performing because you may not want to be embarrassed or come off to your boss as lazy, for example. This is easy enough to understand, but with food, it's a bit trickier. Let's say that you love chocolate, <clears throat> me. You know that at the end of a hard day, chocolate is going to be even better. Once the kids have gone to bed and you don't have any other tasks, dopamine sends you to the drawer to get that chocolate. Escape from pain, a moment of pleasure. With me so far? Now this would be a non-issue if dopamine wasn't working so hard to avoid pain. Remember how I said that pain and pleasure were besties? See, what happens when we experience a spike in pleasure is that we also experience some pain on the other side of it. In most cases, it's not even perceptible. It happens under the radar. So now you have had the pleasure of the chocolate and you start to experience the desire to eat more of it. That is the pain part. Your brain is noting a painful experience in not having more chocolate. That is what you feel when you experience an urge. When you give in to the urge, the cycle continues. More chocolate gives a sense of relief. Stopping signals more pain. This goes on until you hit a place of satiety or often the pain of a full stomach means that more chocolate is actually more painful than pleasurable and so it sort of 
flips. We feel sick and that becomes the point where we are finally over that urge. Distancing yourself from the urge is going to lessen it, meaning that if you resist it and not resist in a sense of like mentally resist and continue to think about it, but if you go and do something else and you distract yourself or, you know, maybe your mom calls or you've got a bunch of other things to do, that urge is easily replaced. But if you're going to sit around in the evenings and just think about it, it's going to continue to persist and persist until you hit that stopping point. Now I can hear your bullshit brain getting all or nothing on me and telling you that you should just avoid food that is pleasurable so you aren't miserable. To that I say, stop your nonsense and it wouldn't work anyway. See, you have a story around your chocolate. You talk about it like it's the most pleasurable thing in the world. Maybe not out loud, but definitely in your head. You talk about it like it's an addiction, that you have no control, and that it just takes over. You connect it to your alone time, relaxing, and the only good part of your day. All of this contributes to the magnitude of this response. What was once a rewarding experience through a few squares of chocolate has become never enough. You continue to seek out that same feeling that initial reward gave you. Now, we have taste buds for a reason. We have pleasure-evoking brain chemicals related to food for a reason. Food is meant to taste good and bring us pleasure. This is not a problem, even if you're convinced that it's the source of all your pain and frustration. When it comes to reaching your goal, looking at food as a pleasurable experience is a good thing and is part of a healthy relationship with food. So why bother telling you all the sciencey stuff then? Well, because we can harness this to our advantage. That story that you have around chocolate and pleasure, which is really more about numbing out and escapism, it's time to ditch it completely and start making it a whole hell of a lot more boring. No more talking about it like it's the reason you live and breathe. Even though something inside of you is itching to feel excited about the behavior, you got to neutralize it. Describe it in your mind in the most boring possible way. So boring that if you told it to someone out loud, they would shrug their shoulders and wonder why you bothered wasting two minutes of their life with that drab word salad. When you are eating chocolate at your meal, you aren't using it as an escape from your day and you are consciously eating it with true pleasure in mind, that is the time to tell an amazing story about the food. Pay attention to the flavors, texture, and pleasurable experience that you're having. And when you have the urge for more, start talking to yourself in a very proud and happy way. Switch gears from desiring more to being super proud of yourself that you're eating just enough or so thankful that you had such a wonderful experience. Really jazz this up. You can continue the pleasurable experience without actually continuing to eat. There is a caveat here. Only tell the amazing story occasionally. Most of the time you want to be telling a pretty boring version. And then on an unpredictable schedule, so don't do it like every other day, I really want you to ramp it up. This is how you keep your pain and pleasure system balanced when it comes to food. This is how dopamine stays in check. It continues to work really well. It doesn't get blunted and your pain threshold stays the same. 
changing the story ends the mental reward of eating to numb out. Right now, you're chasing satisfaction, and if you don't offer it as satisfying, then your brain will move on much more easily. Then, when you do save that knock-your-socks-off story for an eating experience, not only will your pleasure be amplified in that moment, but you'll be able to experience pleasure in a much greater way. This is about quality pleasurable experiences over quantity. You may have heard of this as chasing false pleasure versus chasing true pleasure. And before you tell me that this sounds too hard, just know that if chocolate was wiped off the face of the earth, you would still experience this phenomenon because the very act of chewing and experiencing food provides it. There is a sense of relief in being fed. If you look at different foods along all cultures, income levels, and lifestyles, you'll see a version of this system. For some who live in food scarcity, their hunger allows them to get that sense of relief and pleasure from foods that someone else might find unspectacular. For a child that grows up with a wide variety of foods in the household, they may not think twice about potato chips. They're probably going stale in their cupboards right now. But if a friend comes over that lives in a household that never allows these things, they are much more inclined to eat them in an urgent way. We want to allow all foods and have neutral stories around them. We don't want to villainize food, which only amps up the scarcity and increases the desire. We don't want to make food into the only thing that gives us pleasure in our day or gives us the most pleasure in our lives as this increases our baseline for pleasure and pain. And therefore, we just continue to need more to get the same sense of relief we're trying to experience. Neutralizing food in your day-to-day life helps you take control back. It helps you make decisions about your food instead of feeling like stopping before you've hit your pleasure threshold is unfair or hard. Pleasure matters, and by filling up our pleasure bucket in other areas of life, we won't feel so depleted each day. We're much less likely to seek out hedonic eating when we're in a more balanced state. We are more likely to have the bandwidth for some unpleasant tasks if we are experiencing pleasure as well. And that may very well be the reason that you started using food in this way in the first place. Pleasure eating was the one consolation you had for putting up with all the shit. I get that. But you need to do a life audit. Are there areas in your life that you're people-pleasing, wasting time, sitting in overwhelm, taking on too much, or could you delegate? Are you hanging on to traditions, standards, and expectations that were set in a different period of your life that no longer actually serve you? What do you need to eliminate, cut back on, or change? Are there hobbies, interests, and life experiences that take you out of a dieter's mindset and allow you to be fully present in your joy? What does your social media feed look like and how does that make you feel to scroll through it? Is there time for creativity, play, learning, reading, connection, or anything else outside of thinking about how to control food in your body? All of these areas are potential pleasure leaks. I know it doesn't sound very fun, to take away the reward that food gives us. But you're not missing out on pleasure here. Instead, you're experiencing pleasure in a fuller way. You get to experience it often in different ways instead of relying on the same thing over and over and over to meet your needs. 
and it always falls short. So you always seek more. There are going to be times where we have a meal and we don't make a fuss about it. There are going to be times where you eat something that wasn't exactly exciting for you. I see this all the time with clients. They'll end up snacking or eating late at night because they didn't have anything pleasurable with their dinner and so they felt deprived or like they had somehow missed out. That is a story. You did not miss out. You just didn't have that same pleasure conversation in your head that you're desiring. When we get really good at talking to ourselves in a neutral way about food, life gets so much easier. It gets so much easier to walk away. It gets so much easier to honor your hunger and your fullness. And you still get to experience a lot of pleasure from your food. It's just not as big a deal as we are making it out to be because of the story we have attached to it. The last point I'll add here is that if you are spending a lot of time complaining and feeling terrible every day and you actually can't change your circumstances, then it's time to change the way that you're talking to yourself about them. A small example here might be something like, it's so unfair that I only have time on my lunch break to get a walk-in because I'm slammed with working 12-hour shifts. Logically, that sounds very true. I would certainly feel bad for you if that is what you had told me. But that isn't helpful, is it? All it does is make the one break that you have in the day a miserable experience of resentment. What if you said that you were really happy that you had time during your lunch break to walk because you really need it to break up that 12-hour day? What if you said something like, I'm really good at taking care of myself by utilizing my lunch hour to eat mindfully and get a walk-in. I'm so proud of myself for making me a priority every day. Circumstance is the same, but the message your brain receives is much different and it feels much different. Imagine how that might change how you feel when you walk through the door at night if you spent time taking ownership of the way that you think about the way that you spend your time. It's a game changer. And it's going to make a huge difference. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode, do the cool thing and support the show by leaving a rating and review if you are inclined to do so. It helps so much more than you know. Screenshot the episode and share it on social media. Let me know what you're learning. I love reading all of your comments and your thoughts and takeaways. Be sure to tag me so that I see them. All my information is in the show notes. If you have questions or thoughts on this episode, ideas for future episodes, or you want to learn about how we can start to work together one-on-one, drop into my inbox. It's always open for you. Bye.